0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together.
1: So, um, Pastor Matt um, is a really sly person sometimes. He, uh, he uh, sent me a text and said, Hey, I might be out of town sometime. Would you fill in for me? And, you know, you just don't want to say, Sure, sure, I will. And He says, Would well, you have our study guide? And I said, No, I didn't get the study guide this time. I've just been, you know, going through the book of Leviticus. And he says, Well, I'll send it to you. I'll send you the study guide. And I said, Okay. And so I get the email, and I pull it up, and it says, Week 6, Clean and Unclean Bodily Conditions. And I sent back to him and I said, this is rigged. And his response was, have fun. Uh, so, so we're going to have fun with this tonight, okay? Um, but but in in all seriousness, uh, uh, Leviticus 12, uh, chapter 12 through 15 is, is really the chapters we're focusing on tonight. Um, you're probably like me. A lot of times I don't read the chapters before I come to things like this. If you didn't read the chapters... I would encourage you this week to sit down and read these chapters. Um, I don't know um, if you guys have ever done, you know, like the read the Bible through in a year or, or anything like that. But um, one of the things I try to do in the mornings is, is I just have a little app that's read the Bible in a year. And, and so I will do that in the morning. And then when I finish it, I just start it over. You know, I figure you can't, you can't ever get that enough for sure. And if you're like me, when, when things like that come up on Leviticus or Numbers, man, it is really easy just to read through there, and you're know, and you like, oh, and the priest checks on it in seven days, and if it's not clean, then he goes back and he checks on it seven days again, you know, that kind of thing. It's really easy to read through, uh, especially chapters like this in Leviticus, and you can kind of get bogged down in the gory details, if you will, and miss a lot of the point on them. Um, So I would sure encourage you, um, I don't uh, have enough faith in myself that I will hit all of the points tonight, that uh, we could unravel in these books Uh, so I would sure encourage you this week to go back through if you have a study bible uh, go back through with the study bible or commentary because man this thing is full full of information Um, pastor Matt and I sat down to kind of go through some of the points that uh, were in the study guide and uh, he kept going oh yeah that's good oh, yeah, that's good, that's good. And I said, you're going to find enough good points in this that you're not going to want me to do it, and you're going to want to do it yourself when you get back, aren't you? And he said, no, go ahead and do it. So, but here we are. Um, so as we talk about clean and unclean bodily conditions, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, just kind of we'll scan it real quick. Uh, chapter 12 in, in my Bible, uh, the heading above Chapter 12 is Laws of Motherhood. Laws of Motherhood. And notice that uh, chapter 12, as you start reading chapter 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Sons of Israel, but it's talking about motherhood. But at any rate, speak to the sons of Israel saying, when a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. So, I I mean, just in that one sentence in chapter 12, you can kind of get the tenor on what it's going to talk about. It's going to talk about, uh, birth of a male child, it's going to talk about birth of a female child, the differences kind of in there, and notice that, I mean, that is a, that is just a natural occurrence, uh, that, um, you know, think about, uh, you know, uh, we'll pick on Jessica a little bit, and, and little Isaac, you know, um, of, of the birth of little Isaac, and how awesome a thing it was, and how excited people, uh, get about it, and, um, one of my favorite things that I uh, about Jessica, that she doesn't know this, so I'm probably going to embarrass her, is that she posts pictures of her kids all the time and how cute they are. And there was the cutest picture of Lily hugging on Isaac the other day, and it was just adorable. And then you, you look at these little kids, and you look at all that, and then you read chapter 12, and you read about how unclean it is. Um, and, and so, you know... Um, sometimes when we think of things like that uh, you know we don't think of things in, those, in that regard as the Hebrew people would have thought of that um, and so when you go through chapter 12 and you're reading this about you know being unclean I bet the word unclean is in chapter 12 about 20 times and it talks about different things being unclean in there and um, so let's just uh, skip over to chapter 13 test for leprosy So we talk about leprosy. Chapter 14, law of cleansing a leper. And uh, chapter 15, then, cleansing unhealthiness. I'm sure you guys have uh, similar titles or things like that in your Bibles. So we're talking about things that are unclean here, right? Tonight, obviously, we're talking about that. But there's, there's something about being unclean. Um unclean can just be unclean, or unclean can be unclean and sinful in, in these chapters that we're going to review. So if you look at your sheet, uh, the first heading on the left side there talks about sin and uncleanness, and they're talking about two different categories here. So when we read through chapters 12 through 15, you're going you're gonna to come with two different categories of laws that God talks about with his people there. Uh, one of those are laws of holiness. That you see, there are laws of holiness. Laws of holiness. And if you look at your little blank there, they are always going to identify what sin. They're going to identify sin. An example of that would be uh, sexual immorality. Laws on sexual immorality would be laws on holiness. Laws on holiness always involve a sinful activity. And uh, I have my phone up here. I hope that it's going to work in this regard uh, because I'm going to quickly turn to some verses tonight or I might have, and you guys feel, feel free to follow along with me. But uh, Leviticus chapter 18 um, the heading on that is unlawful sexual relations. And l- like, for example, listen to this. This is a v- really good example of a law in holiness. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And then he goes through and talks to them, the, the, uh, gives them the laws about sexual relations and unlawful sexual relations. That's a good example of laws of holiness. You look underneath there, uh, laws of purity. Well, wouldn't a law of holiness be a law of purity? Well... Maybe so, they, they may relate to similar things. Laws of purity, if you look there on your sheet, identify life's brokenness. Brokenness. Um, now, laws of purity do not always involve a sinful activity. Uh, a good example of this is this chapter 12 that we look at here, because chapter 12 talks about when a woman gives birth and bears a male child. Now, that doesn't necessarily involve sinful activity. It says she shall be unclean for seven days. Uh, as in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. Uh, menstruation, just so you'll know, um, chapter 15, verses 19 through 24, then refer to uh, what a, the rules that a woman is supposed to follow during that time. Um, so, like we said, that... This birth of this child doesn't involve necessarily any sinful activity. You know, birth is a common thing. Um, God, our God is a God of creation. We'll, we'll see that within what we're talking about tonight. And as a God of creation, I mean, there are going to be births. That's the way he has designed things. So it doesn't always involve sinful activity, but uh, a good example of this law of purity is this blood loss. Uh, it's not sinful, but blood loss and pain as according to our lesson, remind us of sin's curse on an otherwise good aspect of human life. And in, inside these laws of purity, things are going to be termed as unclean. You're going to see that word through here quite a bit. So this law of purity, um, our lesson talked about that it reminds us of this uh, sin's curse. Remember the sin's curse is uh, Genesis 3. Uh, 16 if I can get there real quick uh, Genesis 3:16 God God's saying here to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you will bring forth children um, so you know um, the curse of man re- uh, regarding women there. Um, pain in childbirth, pain is associated with blood, and, and so forth. So um, this law of purity in uh, motherhood, uh, that's supposed to remind us of that and be a reminder of, of why we are in that condition to begin with. Um, one of the commentaries um, in, in our lesson also talk about this, and that if you look down there on your third line there, Purity laws show that this brokenness has no enduring place among God's people. The, a good example of that, again, is going back to this chapter 12 and this uh, loss of blood during childbirth. Uh, that's not an enduring condition, and it's something It's a temporary condition, but it's still an unclean condition, and that is something that has to be tended to in that regard. So I think the Lesson put it in this way, though, uh, a little bit more to that blank. Purity laws and their ritual requirements remind God's people that life's brokenness has no enduring place among God's people. That's kind of a little bit better way to say that there. God's people desire to dwell in God's presence, but we cannot dwell in God's presence in any form of uncleanness. Lesson also pointed out that there's an atonement aspect to these laws, isn't there? I mean, if, if something that you're doing is declared unclean and then God tells you how you can become clean and what you have to do to, to uh, repair that condition, then obviously that makes us thing, think of uh, signs of atonement and aspects of atonement. Um, and so the lesson said, atonement as, there's an atonement aspect of these laws. It promises or reminds God's people not only of the forgiveness of their sin, but also the reversal of its curse and the effects of the curse as well. So, you know, if you're a mother back in the Hebrew days and you have a child and you're following these laws as a good Hebrew would, right, then you are reminded of your unclean condition and an unclean world that we live in to begin with. And then if you follow the laws and and follow the system to become clean, then that's supposed to remind us of how God Makes atonement for that, or makes atonement possible for that, because then we can become clean again, and come and possibly come back into His presence. Uh, one of the other com- uh, commentators that I studied is getting ready for this lesson. Put it this way: because God atones for sin and dwells among His people, we anticipate the we anticipate the end of sin's curse in our daily lives, and a resurrection from sickness and death and when we're talking about laws of holiness and law of purity um, if you wanted to say well you know what what is the deal with all this anyway i mean why does god have to put these laws of purity for sure now laws of holiness we can understand can't we Um, because god wants us to be holy And, and laws of holiness like we talked about they always talk about a sinful activity um, God cannot uh, commune with us in our condition of sin. But some of the purity laws, you think, well, what is up with that? Uh, because like this motherhood issue, I mean, that's just a temporary situation. Um, you know, you, a mother can uh, have, can birth a child, and, and just in a short amount of time, she's, you know, cleaned up, things are kind of back to some sort of normal in, in that regard. So what is the deal with that? I would invite you to look at... Um, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, um, if I were you, I'd pencil that in your, in your uh, or underline it in your Bible just to make a note of it because this is key to what we're talking about when we talk about any kind of uh, law of holiness or purity. So 1145 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy. For I am holy. So there you have it, right? That's God's standard, is holiness for his people. Even if it is a temporary condition like birthing a child. Uh, Even if it is a temporary condition like uh, some sort of uh, temporary discharge of bodily fluid. Or uh, temporary bleeding, uh, as like a woman in her time of menstruation. So, as we talk about all of these things, all of these chapters, it's good to, re- to reflect back to 1145 to know that that's the thing. God's telling his people, look, I'm holy. And there's no question that God's holy. That's not even an issue in this, is it? But God being a holy God and having his people and wanting to uh, have a relationship with his people and his people wanting to dwell with God, they have to be holy too. That is God's standard that he puts for his people. Uh, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, a little bit of that reminds me in, in our Sunday school lesson, we're uh, going through the book of John. And uh, last week we talked about Nicodemus uh, coming to Jesus in, in the middle of the night. And, you know, Nicodemus doesn't necessarily do this, but, uh, and Jesus knows all this anyway, but Nicodemus has all of these religious credentials, right? And, uh, in fact, he probably has as many re- religious conde- uh, credentials as anyone that Jesus would run into at that time. He's a Pharisee, he's in the said he's a teacher. Um, And so when Jesus is addressing the uh, issue of uh, religious credentials to Nicodemus, he reminds him that, okay, well, if you want to approach God with your religious credentials, then uh, here's God's standard for that. It's perfect. So, so if you want to count your religious credentials on getting you to God and God's presence, then the standard for that is perfect. And God is kind of reminding his people here that also, isn't he? He's saying, I'm holy, and you will be holy. And so anyway, that's, but that's good background that um, if you read through chapters 12, 13, anything like that, and you're like, well, why do we do that? Well, you can refer back to 1145 because that's why we do that, because God is holy and he demands holiness of his people. So, um, look on the right side of your page there, and, and this has been something I think that's been on each one of our papers as we've gone through this study, but this is the outline of Leviticus, so to speak, and obviously there we're about to about to number three. Uh, one thing just to point out in this lesson that, that I thought was very interesting, so do y'all remember what this outline, do you remember what Pastor Matt told us that that's called? Chiasm, right? Okay, well, there's something interesting, too. um, If you will look within uh, the lesson... Does anybody have their book with them? And I have to apologize, because when Pastor Matt sent me these, I didn't get page numbers on mine. But within what we're talking about today, there's a chiasm within a chiasm. How about that? That's interesting. So, if you will turn to... um, I'm going to hold up the page and see if y'all can see that. I don't know if y'all can see that, but if you have your study guide. Um, Jennifer, do you, do you find that in your study guide? What page is it on the study guide? 40 Tell me that again. 40. 40? Okay, page 40 on your study guide. talks about this chiasm within a chiasm. Well, now, why is that interesting? Why do we point things out like that? Well... Remember, the book of Leviticus is a chiasm, and in that chiasm for the book of Leviticus, God is making specific points at specific times as he's having Moses write this out, right? Now, Moses is a fairly educated man for this time of history, but I don't know that Moses is such an educated man that he would naturally think in his head, this is the system I'm going to give these, these statutes and rules, um, But as we see with the chiasm within the chiasm here, uh, chapter 12 is going to talk about reproduction and discharges in childbirth. We talked about that. Uh, The chiasm that's formed there in in the study guide lists that as A. B, we're going to switch to leprosy laws for flesh and garments. And C, then, is going to go restoration after healing. That's chapter 14. Then it goes back to a B leprosy laws for houses, and then back to A, reproduction discharges um, with conception. Um, And then... And then also, uh, is that on that next page, Jennifer? Okay. So 40, 40 starts talking about that chiasm on 41, Uh, It talks about, breaks down the chiasm a little bit different. Um, In chapter 15, there's another chiasm uh, that talks about abnormal discharges of a man, normal discharges outside conjugal conjugal relations of a man, and then C, this is going to become important, I promise you in just a minute, normal discharge and sexual intercourse of a man with a woman, goes back to a B, normal discharges outside conjugal relations of a woman, and then A, abnormal discharges of a man. So abnormal discharges of a man, then it goes into normal discharges man, uh, normal discharges of a couple, normal discharges of a woman, and then abnormal discharges of a... So, here's the thing about that, okay? Um, Christianity.com defines... Uh, they they use the term chiasmus, also chiasm, as this. Literary device in which ideas are presented and subsequently repeated or inverted in a symmetrical mirror-like structure. Uh, It also points out that this is seen throughout the Bible where God clarifies and emphasizes key ideas or themes. So this also lends itself to the idea that the Holy Spirit is guiding Moses to write this as God directs him because as, as God makes these chiactic points within these certain portions of these chapters, he's, he's identifying specific points that he wants to make. In that last chiasm in chapter 15, the central point in the middle of that talks about normal relations with a man and a woman, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I just want to point those things out that um, as you read through this, and again, that's nothing that I've ever considered as I read through the book of Leviticus. You know, like I said before, it's really easy to just, you know, skate through Leviticus and you talk about all these rules and you talk about these different, you know, functions and this and that and the other. And, and, but I want to point that out to you because as you guys read through there, y'all can see where God is pointing out these specific things to his people to pay attention to. And so when he points out these specific points, at some point in time, you have to, if you're studying the Bible, you have to go, well, what is behind that other than just the rule? I mean, because we get all of these rules. We can read all of these rules all day long. And these Hebrew people, they knew the rules. If they didn't, the Pharisees were there to remind them what the rules were, right? So, um, but it's good to look at these um, as we go through our lesson and see that this is evidence of the Spirit inspiring Moses to make these certain points with his people. So, okay. So, enough on the chiasm for now. So, here we go. Maybe this is the part where Pastor Matt said had fun. Maybe this is the part he was talking about. So, um, if you look under uh, about the middle of your page there, under the heading of reproductive discharges. Now, it was interesting that your lesson, and it broke it up in this way because of the chiasm um, in, within these uh, chapters. So reproductive discharges, if you look at uh, chapter 12, 1 through 8, like we talked about, those are laws of motherhood. And then if you go over to uh, chapter 15 uh, verses 1 through 33, you can see where um, those just talk about cleansing unhealthiness, okay? And that's where we get into, you know, what we talked about a while ago, the different discharges. Dischar- abnormal discharge of a man, and so on and so forth, going through that chiasm. If you don't have that book and you wanted to, um, um, it, it would sure be a, a neat thing to get a copy at least of those chiasms so you can see how those relate to these chapters. But when we talk about uh, reproductive discharges and so on, why, why would we talk about reproduction? Why is reproduction um, such a big deal with God talking to his people? they are that's one of the that's one of the things and and that's a question i mean there's lots of answers to that isn't there i mean you know one of the things is we talked about all ago is that we we serve a god that is a god of creation don't we i mean god birthed so to speak adam god birthed so to speak eve and and that was his plan all along that adam and eve would be the first family and and he has all of these conditions um surrounding the family so um Reproductive issues are central, uh, if you look on your page. Reproductive issues are central because reproduction is central. Reproduction is central to everything that God has ever done for us, isn't it? Reproduction. If you think about our Savior um, that God gifted us with, how did he come to us? He was birthed as a child, right? Jesus took on flesh and, and became man in that regard. Did God have to birth a child in that regard? Probably not, but he did. That was, that was his plan. That was the way he chose to deliver us a savior. Uh, when we think of reproduction, now we don't think this way necessarily, but the Hebrew people would definitely think this way or they were supposed to think this way because if you look at your little bullet point underneath that, uh, reproductive issues are reminders of the fall of, and the curse they're reminders to us of the fall and the curse why would that be and how do y'all think that is what's that pain of childbirth, pain of childbirth? yeah like we talked about all ago obviously that's that would be an obvious sign for the women wouldn't it right right and in chapter 12 Part of the thing there that, that uh, you're reminded of is this. Not that the child in the birth is unclean, but that the other portions of the birth are unclean in that regard. Um, so uh, any uncleanness uh, in that regard. And also like um, when, when a woman would give a birth as a Hebrew she's reminded that this baby is coming into a fallen world. This baby is still part of the fallen world. Um, And if you look through, um, so when we looked at that verse 2, when a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. Well, I hate to tell you all this, but if you look down to verse 5, if she bears a female child, then she'll be unclean for two weeks. Well, what is up with that? Uh, patriarchy, you can't get past it, can you, ladies? Here's, here's the thing. In that childbirth, like we talked about, the woman is, is definitely reminded of her condition of the fall due to Eve. And here's the thing about that. By, having, by birthing a female child, that female child is also subject to that condition too. And that's part of what we, part of what is uh, God's reminding them there. Um, and then, if you'll notice, the purification uh, for a male child and the purification for a, a female child, uh, the, f- the purification process is twice as long as for the male child. And so, God is reminding um, Hebrew women, you're subject to the fall, fall conditions of Eve, and this female child that you had is also subject to those conditions as well. So when we talk about being reminded of the fall and the curse as a Hebrew woman, that is what their God wants them to have on their mind. But also, when we talk about the fall, what do we also have to talk about after that? So look at your other bullet, bullet point. Reminders of God's covenant promise. Because even if you look back to that 1145 um, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's God's promise to his people. is that he, It's his promise to be their God. So, underneath uh, that, we'll call this question one. Um, there's a question that our lesson... Proposed, why does the bleeding associated, I think that's supposed to be associated, with birth require atonement? Well, and there may be many answers to this too. Uh, one of the commentators that I studied in, in doing this, though, put it this way um, The atonement is required to impress upon the mind of the parent the reality of original sin. And the child has inherited a sinful nature in this uh, fallen world. And let's look real quick at, in that regard, if I can get it to change. Let's look at Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. So above uh, verse 22 on on this uh, Bible app, it says Jesus presented the temple. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons so joseph and mary followed this law of tradition of atonement after birth right Um, and like it said there is required to impress upon the mind of the parent parents the reality of original sin in their lives and that this child is born into a world of sin so, our question number two underneath that, why place issues associated with normal sexual intercourse in the middle of this section? Now, what that's referring to is, is that second chiasm that I was talking to you about that is in uh, within chapter 15. And so, that second chiasm, let me go over it again real quick. I'm sorry. I mean, I know y'all are like, man, we didn't, we didn't come to study chiasm all night. But, okay, so let me just remind you, though. So, The first part of chapter 15 talks about abnormal discharge of a man. And in the chiasm, that's listed as an A. So then B goes to normal discharge outside conjugal relations of a man. So we talked about abnormal discharge of a man and then normal discharge of a man. And then C is normal discharge in sexual intercourse of a man and a woman. So the question refers to that. And it says... Uh, why place issues associated with normal sexual intercourse in the middle of this section? So if we assume that this chiasm is to make a point and that issue is placed in the middle of that chapter, what point do you think God's trying to make there about uh, these normal sexual intercourses and, and why does that, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? any guesses well we know going back to 1145 he requires absolute holiness in all things that he's created right what is the ultimate relationship that he has made between men and women it's the marriage relationship right like he had made with Adam and Eve that's the ultimate relationship that God has made for men and women right and sometimes we call we refer to people in that relationship as what bride and groom in that relationship so that impo- that points to the importance of relationship of jesus christ in our lives jesus christ being bridegroom right church being his bride it's pointing to that relationship in that regard Um, You guys look with me at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. And this is one of the things that I loved opening up about uh, reading through these verses because like we said, when you just read through those verses on normal discharge abnormal discharge that kind of thing you can get really lost in the fact that that's all it's talking about but when you see what God hides in the middle of that and the point that he makes in the middle of this chapter um, a question uh, in Matthew 9 chapter 14 then the disciples of John came to him saying why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast and Jesus said to them can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Um, so who is Jesus referring What is he referring to himself as in that? As the bridegroom, right? He's saying, well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, my disciples can worry about this, this uh, rule about fasting when I'm not here. But as long as the bridegroom is present in the reception there, there's no room for that when, when I'm gone uh, they can worry about that and then uh, also if you look at and I don't know if we need to go over all of it but if you look at Matthew 25 Matthew uh, 25 is the parable of virgins right and uh, you know like for example then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom Um, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy. Uh, But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Uh, 10, verse 10, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. So again, Jesus referring to himself, As the bridegroom. So, nestled in that little chapter on rules on things we don't normally want to talk about is a provision that he points out on a a temporary uncleanness between a man and a woman that still has to be atoned for and can be atoned for to bring them back into a clean relationship with God. And again, um, you know, the point of all, of all of this is holiness. So you can refer back to the 1145 that we talked about also, but also look in chapter 15, um, verse 31. And think of this also in the context of, uh, of these Hebrew people and the context that they would be... Remember, the Hebrew people are concerned about being clean and unclean because of their condition with God and their relationship with God. And here's why that is such an important thing for them. It's not just about being clean or unclean in that respect. Um, Look at 1531. And this is God. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by their defiling. Uh, by their defiling my tabernacle that is among them so that's the deal 1145 he talks about i am holy so you will be holy and then in 1531 this is why he's telling them you have to be clean because if you are not clean you cannot come into my presence you cannot participate in my tabernacle You cannot participate in anything to do or any ritual or ceremony involved in the tabernacle if you are not clean. And the Hebrew people, in their minds, should, if they are good Hebrew people, want among all things to be able to participate in uh, ceremonies and rituals in the tabernacle. And that is what all of this points to. When you read from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15, all of these things point to um, an unholy condition or an unclean condition that keeps them from being in the presence of God. And that's why all of this is so important to God. It's not that God has to be such a micromanager that he has to talk about a man and possibly some discharge or a married man and possibly some discharge. What he's talking about is everything that is his and all of the people are his— have to be holy as he describes them. And if they're not holy, they cannot come into his presence. And he will not allow them to be in his presence. And we'll see that more uh, as we kind of go down our sheet here. So, uh, underneath that that second questionnaire, the point of all of this is the holiness, is your blank, of God and his people. And that's what it said in 1531 that we just read. 1531 is another good one to underline. So, and that's what I said earlier, you know, um, in previous Bible studies as I read through, you know, Leviticus and Numbers and blah, 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 I don't know that I ever catch those points. I think it's really easy to, um, you know, just look at the uh, do's and the do not's when we talk about these regulations. And isn't that a problem in the modern church too? Because if we, uh, Harlan and I were talking about the other day that, uh, you know, any Sunday that you're on the way to church and do must look around, you will see untold numbers of people not coming to church on Sunday. And, and Harlan and I were kind of visiting the other day. Well, why is that? Well, you know, they don't want to come and they don't want to be reminded of their sin and this and that and the other. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, with what we're talking about here. People don't want to be reminded of those things. But uh, but God is going to require that of us, and uh, let's in that regard let's let's talk about the leprosy laws there. So leprosy laws are, are in in two different portions. Chapter thirteen uh, spends a long, a long, long time talking about these tests for leprosy, and if you think God isn't serious about skin conditions well let me just tell you there's seven of them mentioned in chapter 13 <laughs> so if god wasn't serious about that i think he might just you know throw one out there but there's seven different um conditions mentioned in chapter 13 i'm i am not going to go over all those with you so you, you know you could, the collective sigh can come out from the crowd at that point um but, uh, for example, let's just look at, at, the, at the very beginning of chapter 13 because it will give you a good flavor of what goes on through the rest of chapter 13. So, 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, it is fun already, isn't it? Like Pastor Matt promised us, how fun is that? So And it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of uh, his sons of the priest. So, you come up with skin ailment, you come up with a spot. What do you do? You got to go to the priest. Can y'all imagine that? I mean, seriously. I, I mean, really. Um, I can remember when I was about oh thirteen, fourteen, and had a face full of acne, and I thought, man, I can't wait to get about forty when you don't have acne. That's what I knew as a, as a teen, right? Um, I mean, can you imagine on your daily life? I mean, just you know, just look at your hands and, and things like that. I mean, I just can't imagine that. Anytime some spot comes up, now we've got to go to the priest, okay? Um, the priest, in verse 3, The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and if the hair in the infection is turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. There's that word, right? There's that clean. Um, and so here's the thing: the the pattern that you're going to see there is, is that if the priest looks at it, and if it isn't getting better, then what do you do? Well, you got to wait another seven days, and then you got to have the priest look at it again. And if it isn't getting better, then you know. And, and as it goes, if this develops seriously into a disease, then it's going to be uh, declared. Um, Leprosy, now you see leper, leprosy mentioned a few times in there, Uh, but look over at verse 45, um, 13, 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So do you think God's not serious about a skin condition? Now, this is not just for a pimple. This is for the full-blown leprosy. And this is for, as you read through chapter 13, what you'll see is some of these conditions, they just keep getting worse, and they keep getting worse. And there's mentions of like, you know, white flesh and raw flesh and this and that and the other. Um, So, you know, God's serious talking about these conditions. But we'll see why. And again, this is another point, and I hate to keep making the same points over But this is another thing that is real easy to read through here and think that God's only talking about leprosy or a skin condition when that's not really all that he's talking about. So if you look at your uh, sheet there, leprosy was treated with a unique seriousness in the camp. Okay, so what is going on with leprosy? If you look at your second bullet point there, leprosy was death at work in a person's flesh now we know what good Hebrew people are going to think about when they think about dead skin this dead skin condition what are are they naturally going to be concerned with look at your second bullet point there here is another reminder of the fall not just a physical dead condition but a spiritual dead condition that we all live live in. And that's one reason that this is treated so seriously. Now, um refer back also to uh so we talked about that the a person that is really diagnosed with leprosy, where are they where are they sent? Out, right? You got to get out of here. Why do you have to get out of here? What? probably but remember back 45 as for the leper who has infection his clothes should be torn hair of his head shall be uncovered uh, he has to shout unclean unclean he shall remain unclean all the days during which the infection um, oh, I'm sorry 15 I'm sorry 1531 I'm sorry Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, so that they will not die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle. That's why you're outside the camp. Because that's where all of the unclean things are, is outside the camp. Because what is in the heart of the camp? The tabernacle. And they can't be anywhere around the tabernacle. They can't even they can't be anywhere where they would be by anyone that would be at the tabernacle. So so that is, that's the uh, uh, serious thing there. Now, when you go through uh, 15 and so forth, um, 14 is the law of, of cleansing the leper. So there's this whole thing, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But there's this whole thing, the you know, whole process that the person has to go through. But look at your question underneath there. So obviously the question implies that there are laws for garments and houses of lepers as well. Why would that be? Where are those things a lot of times? In the camp, right? We've got to take care of it. It's in the camp. And also, you know, you get back to the uh, thing that, um, you know, might be contagious for others. And then also, um, when you're talking about a person and you're talking about dealing with issues of sin, we can't just clear up one aspect of it, can we? We have, to clean, we have to clear up all aspects of it. You can't clean up just one little part of sin and, um, and, and, and think that that's okay. So uh, why are laws uh, given for the garments and houses? Let me see. Um, it's inside the camp, near the tabernacle, infecting others. And then remember, refer also back to that 1145 uh, where God says everything is holy, right? Everything has to be holy. Uh, not just the person not just the person so that includes their clothes and their houses as well so let's get into some really good stuff really good stuff let's uh, turn your page over oh i'm gonna have to get going here i'm i'm going real slow um so look at your page on the second side there the celebration of a cleansed leper takes place three stages this is very interesting if y'all if y'all were going to just pick and choose a section of this to read I would read this section uh, because it gets really interesting because look at number one on your sheet there the first seven days this is verses two through eight um, let me kind of skim through this a little bit and then we're going to talk about I thought that this was really um, really interesting things here. Um, I like the way that uh, Pastor Matt and the lesson talked about this being a celebration why would this be a celebration why why do they celebrate after all of this and and somebody gets to come back and they can't yeah Um, it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son right in that regard remember how happy and joyous the father was when when the sinful son returned and and, uh, and, and so, you know, th- there's a thought there in that. But, okay, so the first seven days, verses 2 through 8. Okay, verse 2. Um, so look at verse 2. Uh, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of cleansing. Uh, now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. priest is going to him outside the camp, right? Because he can't come into the camp. You have to go outside the camp. Um, so look at four okay um uh, uh, shall give orders to take two live clean birds in cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who's to be cleansed verse 5 Priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water um As Pastor Matt and I were studying this, when you look up the uh, words running water in the original Hebrew, they also translate to living water. Living water. Pastor Matt got so excited when when we found that. Y'all should have seen him. Face brightened up like a little boy. It was cute. So look at 6. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. Man, I mean, that is just full of images, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's easy to get down on the Hebrew people and say, how did they not see this In all this? Because this is just full of images of Jesus to me when I read that now I've got the luxury of knowing I've got the luxury of having the New Testament in hindsight but man when I read that there are so many images there let's talk about some of them and I hate to be quick on this like I said if this was a portion you wanted to go back and look at this week and study it's, it's very very interesting okay um, so verse 2 um, reminds us that this is a sense of this law it's a prescription uh, not for healing from leprosy it's a ceremonial cleansing, which is needed to be performed uh, after a person's clean, okay? And the priest shall go outside the camp in verse 3. Lepers not are allowed to return to society immediately. The purpose of that is to keep from spreading, but also like we talked about in Leviticus 15, 31. So um, let's talk about verse 4 because that's where it gets really interesting. So the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet string or yarn, and hyssop. So let's talk about those for just a second here. Clean birds. Now, Pastor Matt talked about the clean birds not too long ago, right? So theoretically, these could be any of those clean birds. Typically, they're going to be like pigeons and turtle doves, though, because that's what seem to be readily available uh, for people that need to do these. So one of the things that is interesting is one of the commentators that that I read over said, in Hebrew practice, so you've got these two birds, you go get two birds. And they will look at the two birds. And now get this. The one that is more perfect or bigger or better physically will be the bird that they use as the sacrificial bird. And they just do that out of practice. And I find that very interesting. That subconsciously these Hebrew people are choosing the perfect Sacrifice as a substitutional sacrifice for this less perfect bird that's involved in the ceremony. Anyway, I get chills when I talk about that, but it's a more perfect sacrifice. So the cedar wood that is involved, well, um, builders in here. Uh, I was, Bobby, there he is. Bobby, Bobby, what kind of things do we build with cedar wood? what's what's that cabinets. cabinets what'd you say a trunk cedar trunk um closets uh some people build like decks fences all that what what's the deal about cedar wood what yes, it's not prone to rot no not that it won't but it's not prone to rot. So the cedar is a symbol of restoring strength or soundness to the person involved in this. Uh, Cedar wood is apt not to putrefy, as one of the commentators said. Um, Recall that, uh, like Bobby said, cabinets and so forth, David and Solomon used a lot of cedar in building their palaces in in the temple. So scarlet yarn y'all think of any other stories that scarlet yarn is used? Jennifer's shaking her head. What's that? Well, scarlet letter Rahab Rahab. Joshua and Rahab. That's uh, Joshua 2, uh, 17 through 21 and Joshua 6 uh, 16 through 17 Joshua 6, 22 through 25 Rahab, the uh, scarlet string and yarn was, was used as a symbol of salvation for Rahab's family um also, um, the scarlet yarn is a symbol of recovering a florid color again for the person with leprosy because leprosy we associate as, as turning white. Uh, and then the hyssop that's used. Um, hyssop is a symbol, and not just a symbol, it's also a practical fact of removing the disagreeable scent of leprosy. Remember earlier when we were talking about some of the sacrifices and we talked to one of the words that kept coming up was a sweet aroma? So hyssop is going to um, uh, help remove this disagreeable scent that is associated with leprosy too. Now, uh, one of the commentators remarked about using the cedar and he called it the stateliest plant or tree along with the hyssop that he described as the meanest because it comes in a bush, and I guess it's just a mean little bush. But you take this stately cedar tree, and you take this mean little bush, and you use them together uh, in service for God, and it represents that the highest and lowest are useful for God's purposes. Um, so, uh, that's through verse 4, and then verse 5, we talk about slaying the bird in the earthenware vessel over running water, also described as living water. Um John uh, four seven through fifteen. I won't remark on that, but that is where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and he's talking to her about water, and he starts talking to her about living water, and she says, "Where can I get this living water?" Remember how he described the living water? People that have this water don't thirst ever again. Um, so Jesus re- referring to himself as living water. So these symbols that are in here, man, they there are so many symbols that point to. Uh, a perfect sacrifice or a more perfect sacrifice and pointing to Jesus in there. And then let's look at this too. So we take this live bird uh, in in verse 6, take it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet string, the hyssop. And what they do is they take all of that and they dip that into uh, where the uh, blood of the bird that was slain was in this earthenware vessel. They dip all of that into that blood. And in that earthenware vessel is going to be contained blood and water. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So the slain bird obviously represents Christ dying for our sin. A more perfect substitutional sacrifice in that regard. The living bird represents rising again in our justification. Rising again in in our justification. Um so one of the commentators put it this way the sacrificial bird uh, the blood discolors the water uh, and this is a symbol for death of Christ look at this, this is very interesting I think look at John 19 uh, 34 we talk a lot about blood when we talk about Jesus but look at 34 but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water right and that's that's one thing there right and then also turn to first john chapter 5 verse 6 it says this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not by the water only but by the water and the blood so the symbol of this live bird being put into the water and the blood of the sacrificial bird and then look what we're going to do after that Um, Okay, sorry Uh, so 7 we get to verse 7 So we're going to sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed. And then the priest has to audibly pronounce this person clean. And then look what we do. Shall let the live bird go free over the open field. Uh, Sprinkling uh, can be referred to in Psalm 51, too, just so you know. that was a ceremony that they did quite a bit Uh, also if you look in 2 Kings 5 and I'm sorry to be kind of fast on these we have Naaman being healed by leprosy there and that was a little bit different to this but Elisha told him to go dip himself in the pool seven times Uh, and and Naaman argues with him about it for a little bit but he finally does it and then he's he's cleansed so um, living bird signifies cleansing of the leper the leper is no longer under restraint and confined. Remember, he can't go into camp at one point in time. But this living free bird reminds us that now he's no, no longer under any kind of restraint uh, and confinement, but might take his liberty to go where he pleases. Also, the flight of the bird toward heaven is an imitation of his people to seek things above, not, not just earthly things. Also, a symbol of the liberty of the children of God, By his grace, we are freed from slavery of sin. Okay. Uh, Then, after that uh, procedure, the person that is to be cleansed is going to wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, bathe in water, and then they have to wait for seven days. They can go back in the camp, but they've got to wait for seven days. And then you get to number two on our sheet there, the seventh day, uh, verse 9 on that. What they're going to do again is this is after, after seven days. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're, we're running a little late here. I'm going to try to wrap it up. Uh, they have to wash again, shave again, and bathe again to be clean. And then on the eighth day, this is where you get into uh, the sacrifices that are having to be made. Um, you guys can read through there and see about um, what type of sacrifices those are. But leper ceremony and cleansing ritual within verses 10 through 20 what is going to be offered is a guilt offering, we've talked about that, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a grain offering. And then uh, verses 21 through 32 talk about what poor people that can't afford to do all these different offerings, what they can do to offering. And the symbolism there is, is that the poor and the rich can come to God. He makes provision for the poor and the rich in that regard. Um There are, uh, in part of these uh, ceremonies that talk about there in the different offerings, uh, blood is used and oil is used, um, and they're going to place those on earlobe, thumb, and big toe. You you can read that in there. It's pretty interesting on that. But the blood in that regard represents the blood of Christ and justification, and the oil in these ceremonies represents the oil of the Spirit and sanctification. So when you go through there and you read those about uh, mixing the blood and the oil together and putting those on uh, the earlobe and the thumb and the toe, that, that is the symbolism that is there. Okay, um, question four, what, what does this display about God's grace and restoration? Well, it displays that God's grace is sufficient, it's available, it's freely given, it's purposeful, Um, Again, going back to uh, 1531, that God wants to be near his people. God wants his people in his tabernacle. He wants to be near his people, wants them worshiping. Um, And question five, why seal such a restoration uh, with sacrifices? Well, it's that whole symbol of the atonement, isn't it? Uh, Being totally clean um, in that guard. And let me, um, so the book has a really good section on this, I thought and I'm sorry I'm going fast i talk talked too long in certain instances and I'm not going to talk enough in other ones but in the, in the book it says this about resurrection each of the conditions in this passage marks the presence of death where there ought to be life the abnormal and the normal loss of life fluids uh, represents the evil brought by sin leprosy made especially visible the presence of death and decay in the body and in the extended coverings of life Uh, Each of these leprosy sections closes with rituals of restoration when the presence of death has been reversed. And the centerpiece of the collection is the extensive ritual of restoration for the person healed of leprosy. These must have been extremely joyous occasions. Such public ceremonies of restoration from living death ensured that all Israel knew what had taken place and that, listen to this, all the people should see this reversal of death as a lesson about the victory of God's atonement and resurrection. It's a symbol of resurrection. Um, so, in question five, um, regarding that. So, let me go through real fast on the big picture. I was going to do this pretty fast anyway. So, each of the conditions in this section deals with, as we said, what? Death, decay, and rot. These signs are present even in reproduction, the creation of life. Laws of purification point to God's plan to reverse what? The curse and bring what? Life from death. Purity laws show us that sin is like a stain that must be removed. This is clear in personal sin and in the effects of sin on all creation. Jesus is incarnated as a man in order to bear all the sins and infirmities of man. Jesus touches and heals people with these infirmities, and there's examples of that after that. And we, we know that. I mean, time and time again, Jesus does that. One of the things I thought was interesting is that in John, as we were studying that, and as John remarks on different signs that Jesus does... At one point in time, he says, he's doing so many signs, we can't even mention them here. Uh, So we know that Jesus did that. Uh, Jesus bears the curse of what? Sin and death in himself, suffering the wrath of God on the cross. Jesus offers new life and cleansing to all who come to him. One day Jesus will make all things new in a restored heaven and earth. Um, and I'll let y'all focus on those questions i'll I'll stop there. but uh like I said, I would encourage you guys to go back and and read that if you haven't read that and also a challenge to us when we come to those in our Bible study from time to time, not just to read it for what it is on on its face, but also look to the deeper meanings. That God is revealing to us in there so Pastor Matt we did have a bunch of fun and I want you to know that on this recording and I hope you're having fun wherever you are Um, I'll close us out tonight if you'll bow with me real quick Father God we just thank you for your holy word Father we thank you so much uh, for your system of restoration Father we uh, Father we just beg your forgiveness for being unclean people and being unholy people Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and we thank you for his offer of holiness and cleanness and justification and sanctification, Lord. Uh, And it's in your son's holy name that we praise you tonight, Father, and in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. That's F-B-C-D-U-M-A-S at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.